Guess what? I'm moving country again. I don't know. Maybe a year. Maybe more. Where's home? Home's everywhere. I'm an expat. Hi, it's Pauline from Meet the Expats. Welcome to a new episode. And today I meet with Terry, who is a serial expat who's raised her family across a diversity of countries throughout Africa and Europe, and also author of the book Circling Home. Hi, Terry. How are you? I'm well, Pauline. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for hopping in early this morning. <laughs> you are now based in Seattle, but you spent 15 years abroad. Let's get a quick introduction from yourself. Well, so my um, my book is about a, the, all the journeys we took while we were living overseas, because right. we lived in East and West Africa for 10 years and in Europe for five and I raised my kids overseas, which was a real adventure. <laughs> but uh, it was great for all of us because we we had lots of family adventures, like you know, climbing mountains in Tanzania, and you know, just going to so many cultural things in East Africa, West Africa. So that's kind of an intro, and all of that's in my book. Um, so that's kind of the 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 rough start rough start okay well let's go back to the very beginnings and how you moved abroad in the first place what triggered this move and where was it well I was um 19 at the time in in university and was very curious about my roots and I knew my grandmother came from the Austro-Hungarian Empire in 1905. And so I wanted to uh, explore, you know, going back there and started uh, learning German. Okay. And then in the summer of my, after my uh, junior year, I went over to Austria, to Salzburg. Right. To study German for a summer semester. And just fell in love with everything about the place. It's it's a very uh, charming, easy to walk town that mm-hmm. is nestled in the Alps. You know, it was featured in The Sound of Music, so yeah. it had to be <laughs> yeah. a beautiful place. And I got a Ural pass that summer and traveled all over Europe from Sweden down to, you know, Italy and uh, just loved travel like that it was a great time to travel um and so after one summer of that i i was determined to get myself myself back overseas okay so it for graduate school i went to london and went to the london school of economics and political science right and lived there for a year and this was at the end of the 1970s and it was an exciting time in london in the UK, because, you know, apartheid was in full swing in Mm. Rhodesia and South Africa then. And London was kind of a gathering place for a lot of the anti-apartheid people. Oh, it was fascinating. So, and in fact, uh, Zimbabwe was born in 1980. So just after I was there, but a lot of the, um, people that were spearheading the anti-apartheid movements were going back and forth to London. And 
I I was able to meet some of them and mm. uh, got very involved in politics. And it was a, it was an exciting time to be a you know a young person in your twenties and and traveling and living in in the UK. Okay, so studying in London during those exciting times of the politics going on in Africa. So how did you end up making that move to Africa from London? After living in London, um, I returned to the US and a couple of years later met my husband. And he's a doctor epidemiologist who was actually, he's Polish, but he was born in Congo because his parents worked there when it was still, okay. yeah, when it was still Congo and uh, Belgian Congo. And so he grew up there until the age of seven, speaking French and uh, Polish and English and um, wow. always wanted to go back. He was determined to go back there. So when I met him, I knew this about him. And I kind of, I sort of said, okay, yeah, maybe I'll go with you someday. And it, it, <laughs> and then in the in 1990s, um, he found, um, he was looking for a job overseas. He was offered a position in Ivory Coast. And this was at the height of the AIDS epidemic in Africa. So mm -hmm. it was something he really wanted to do. He He's a public health doctor. And okay. um, my only hesitation was that I had two small children then. They were three and one. And, wow. you know, to take two small kids to a country where AIDS and malaria were the leading causes of death was a little scary. Yeah. And moving there. So I was already, I, I had just turned 40. So, um, you know, I was an older mother and found the adjustment process there really hard because, you know, compared to anywhere in the U.S., it was a tropical country and, you know, heat, humidity, mm -hmm. all of that was hard. But also, you know, you have to get used to uh, new bacteria, new bugs, it, you know, you're going to be sick some of the right, time. Right, so it's harder on the body it's also. very hard on the body. Um, and so it it was a, lo a longer adjustment period than I was prepared for. I missed my family. I'm, mm. I'm one of seven children, so I've got a big family, oh, wow. and <laughs> I miss them. I miss my friends. But what saved me in that first year there was meeting other expats and some locals who, women, who were part of like, there was a book group and a women's professional network. And so once I got plugged in, I felt much more at home there and was able to help my kids adjust. Yeah. So after a year, we felt so much at home that Every year when my husband would ask, can we extend for another year? I want to stay and keep working here. <laughs> I, you know, I kept saying, yes. It's fine. Yeah, I, I have did. the support yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And we became very close to the people who worked around us. Like um, most expats have to have a guard outside your gate just to, you know, screen right. people and let them in. And, Protection. Mm-hmm. And we became very close to the guards who worked at our house and next door and in the neighborhood. And 
So much so that the first real hardship that I experienced in Ivory Coast was um, that the guard we were very closest to after a year got very sick and it became clear that he had AIDS. And so he, oh, wow. yeah, so within a year and a half, he died. And so did his wife and his baby. And, you know, it was a, it was a real uh, cascade of deaths. And that's what was going on in Africa in the 90s. It was a, it was a terrible time for people oh. with, with AIDS. So, and we had this, a similar situation. We ended up staying in Ivory Coast for six years and a man who used to come and cook for us part-time, he also developed AIDS in the late 90s. And so it was very sad to see him kind of withering away and know that there's nothing you could do yeah. for people. That's what was the hardest thing. I can imagine. Yeah, it's hard to, to have your, your surroundings and know that it's something going on and you can't really go do anything for it. So you're saying you met a lot of people that helped settle in. You had this time of adaptation to, well, the weather, the diseases and all that. Apart from meeting the people, what helped you to adapt? And maybe also we can shift to like bringing up your children in this different culture. And yeah. I feel like the the most important thing I did and that, that expats can do is just get involved in the community. And so I started volunteering at whatever uh, jobs came my way. I was, I joined Professional Women's Association. I joined a book group. I started volunteering in the school. Um, all of this was, you know, when I wasn't writing and working in the morning. And through these kind of volunteer activities and getting to know people really well, you just, you settle in and you, you embrace the culture where you are. And that's really important. And it's important for, for your kids, because if they see that you're happy and that you're thriving in a place and that you're connected to people, they can do that mm. too. You're modeling for them. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And they were very young also, so they probably had just known this environment. Right, also. that's true. And they were speaking French, which was nice. They they became fluent in oh, French wow. from a very young age. And now they were pretty happy. After the first year, they were happy in the schools. Uh, international schools were great there. So much so that when it was time to leave at the end of our six years there, they had a very hard time because it was all they knew. Oh. They had yeah. they had a hard so time. The change was coming. Yeah. They had a hard time leaving the people around them that they loved and um, coming back to America and trying to fit in as American kids. They didn't know how to be typical American kids. I, yeah, I lived the same thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Going back to France after opposing in Africa. I Same. Yeah. I know. Yeah, you can you can relate. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. So after those six years, you stayed, so you went back to America, but you continued to live a very international life. 
We did. We were overseas. Uh, we traveled every year um, to Europe. I went back to Abidjan in Ivory Coast because I missed my friends and the people there. So I would make return mm -hmm. trips. And my husband was doing AIDS work for the Centers for Disease Control. So he was back okay. and forth um, constantly because he was overseeing AIDS projects there. And in our sojourn in Ivory Coast, one of the hardest things for me um, was watching people die of AIDS around us mm. because it was the height of the epidemic and there was no medication then. So these things really marked me and my husband. Of course. And so when uh, it was one of the big changes when my husband had the opportunity to go back to Africa, this time to East Africa, to Tanzania, it was a, it was a world of difference going back in the year 2005 because there were medications available and people weren't dying. Right like they were so things had evolved in a positive yes. positive way yes and his main job when he went back was to help people get on medications uh, okay that would prolong their lives and and people didn't have to die wow. anymore so it's inspiring and such a different life um like so few people get to live such a life and really get involved in the community and and really help make such a difference in terms of a difference in terms of health yeah it's and you know it was a unique time in uh history really when you had this pandemic that you know killed millions of people in the 80s 90s and then all of a sudden you have this miracle drug that will you know mm. people can live normal lives so it was a it was a privilege to be able to see that and to you know, experience that because, wow, what a change. So what would be the highlights that you keep from those travels? And we can maybe shift on to, to the book and how you talk about all these, these travels and the memoirs in them. I think the highlights for, for me from the early years that we lived in Ivory Coast were the cultural um, experiences we had. It's a a very rich history and tradition of dance and music and masks and all of this. And I just remember dancing a lot and, uh, you know, going <laughs> to dance that, you know, to see right. the traditional dances. And that was just fascinating. Um, when we moved to Tanzania in the, in 2005, we were there then for three years, the difference is we had a lot less of that, of the dance tradition and the, you know, fabrics that people made and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But much more of an experience, especially as a family, with incredible landscapes. I mean, the, the East Africa is famous for all kinds of beautiful um, safaris and, and the... Um, you know, we had the Serengeti nearby and other game parks, as well as Mount Meru, the second highest peak, and <laughs> Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, wow. My son had the uh, opportunity to climb Kilimanjaro with his class because the international schools give all kinds of... How old were they? He was uh, 16, I guess. 
So, wow. yeah, they, they took a, a group of, you know, 20 students up the mountain in uh, rainy season, no less. So it was snowing up <laughs> there, but um, he made it. And so did a number of his friends and he inspired me. So a year later, I got a group together of um, 20 women or eight women. And we went up um, with a guide. We were camping on the mountain and... Mm -hmm. Um, we had an amazing experience and it just made me fall in love with the landscapes there. there. Yeah. And I do write about that in the book and about how, you know, as a family, it really gave us so many memories together to do treks, you know, and safaris mm. and trips to islands. We lived a, a block away from the Indian Ocean. So we did, Okay. we swam every weekend and did lots of <laughs> snorkeling and excursions like that. It was, it was amazing place to live. Well, it sounds beautiful. And so did this inspire you later to continue building these types of memories with the whole family or sort of inspire you to lead a certain way of life or have a motto later on? You know, um, after we returned to the U.S. from Tanzania, the kids pretty much went on their own paths. You know, they, they went off to grew up. Yeah, college and they, they went to uh, different cities. So it was more... Um, learning to live you know as single people again we went to yeah the empty nest <laughs> yeah we went to switzerland after um both kids were out of our house and on their own and we lived there for four years my husband was still doing aids work but also hepatitis work and we lived in geneva um were able to speak french again which was fun yeah, and had a very different experience there. It was harder to join and do volunteer work, join groups and do volunteer work. There were fewer mm. places that needed volunteers. You know, it's a, it's a first yeah. world country, a rich country. Switzerland, yes. <laughs> so we got out and did a lot of hiking, and um, I was still writing. I was actually working on a novel at the time, and the novel is based in, Zanzibar, because I still had such a strong oh. image of Tanzania and Zanzibar. But uh, all the while, I was also just journaling and writing about, you know, what it was like to live in a European country as opposed to an Af African countries. Yeah, and all of that kind of fed into this book that I wanted to write when we moved back to the U.S. And I wanted to kind of bring everything together in a memoir about what I learned from living in all those different places. Okay. And so what would be your top key learnings from those different experiences abroad? Well, I'd say the main thing, um, there's uh, a saying that you, you have to have beginner's mind when, you know, it's mm. kind of a, a Zen saying and, I feel like that was really important. That was the top lesson that when you go to another country, you need to erase 
your judgments and your preconceptions and your expectations. This is what I want to get out of a place. And you just go with Mm. beginner's mind. You don't even let people's warnings about crime or, you know, maladies and that kind of thing get to you. You just go and experience as much as you can. And I would say a, a second big lesson was to look for helpers and guides in other people who have been there before you, expats, people who live in the culture, you know, be open to friendships and to, you know, talking to everybody from the cashier at the grocery store where you go every week or the, the lifeguard at the pool or whatever it is, you just have to connect. It's yeah. really important. Creating those connections. Yeah. I, I think there's something around not yeah. sorry, not being afraid to ask for help. Absolutely. Just to be able to Yeah, yeah. And asking for help doesn't have to be in a, a victim sort of a mode where you say, yeah, Oh, of course. I need help, but it could be just, Wow, yeah. I'm trying to make sense of this. What did you find? You know? Yeah. So yeah. yeah, but the last thing I was gonna say, uh that I think my kids really learned too, uh, growing up overseas, is that you just have to have an appreciation and openness to people of other cultures, because they have a lot to teach us. And you just can be, your life is so enriched by opening to people from other places besides your little neighborhood (laughs) in your country. Yeah, (laughs) completely. Um, and so have you seen your, your children have the same itch for travel? And oh, gosh, yes. Also? Unfortunately. <laughs> so my, yeah, my daughter um, did not ha- find it very easy to um, live in the U.S. after 10 years overseas, growing up overseas, really. So she moved to Paris first and got a job there. Then she moved to Luxembourg because we have good friends there and she was working there. Then she moved to London and met a man who stole her heart. And so (laughs) now they have two children and we have to travel quite a ways to see our grandchildren. So see your grandchildren. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of the downsides. I'm sure your parents feel the same way. Of uh... I moved back to France, so oh, okay. <laughs> I'm closer now. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, we've been through the same yeah. similar. But my similar, son, um... who loves to travel internationally and still speaks French, um, fortunately, after living in a number of different cities in the U.S., has ended up in Seattle, and so um, he got a job here and. Uh, uh, seems to be settled in the area so at least we have one offspring <laughs> nearby which is nice um is there anything else you wanted to mention around the book yeah well um i think my book is a is a good introduction to what life is like um for expats in african countries because i did a lot of While I was there, I interviewed um, two dozen women who had married Ivorian men and were living in Ivory Coast. So I got to know how they adapted and what they saw as the good things about living there versus what they 
you know, don't miss about being in the U.S. And so it's mm -hmm. a, it's a, um, my book kind of brings together uh, a lot of viewpoints on living overseas, okay. living in the U.S., raising children overseas, and how you can go through a real inner journey finding home inside yourself, no matter where you live. Yeah, just being surrounded and having the right mindset. Yeah, yeah. And it's available it's... both in audiobook and um, in print from Amazon, bookshops, whatever. All kinds of okay, places. Okay, well, we'll link it in the comments in any case so you can find it. Great, yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to your recommendations. I don't know for what place you'd want to... So I prepared a couple of recommendations sure. for the different places where we live. Okay, well, perfect. We'll have some for everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what would be a bar or cafe? Well, I'll start with the most recent in... Uh, we lived in Geneva most recently, and uh, we loved Café de Soleil in Geneva for fondue or for just, you know, kind of a typical <laughs> Swiss meal. We liked a restaurant called Perle du Lac, which is right on Lac Le Mans or the, you know, the big lake in Geneva. It's got a beautiful setting, good food. You see Mont Blanc on the far side of the lake, so it's just gorgeous. And basically any, any cafe or bar in Old Town, you'll get good views and a good vibe. It's really a nice place in the Old Town, kind of nestled in the hills of the Alps. And uh, the, the, the real thing I loved about Switzerland and what I would recommend is hiking in both the Alps and the Jura Mountains. The Jura, uh, we just every weekend would take a train, one of the little narrow gauge trains and go up into Nyon, from Nyon de Saint-Cerc to hike in the, in the summer and fall and snowshoe in the winter. So highly recommend hiking there. Oh, and the, lastly, the uh, a real treat is to take the dinner cruise on the lake because it goes up to oh. little tiny villages all along the lake. And it, it you can get off in the, the town of Ivoire and uh, walk around and then get back on. And it's a good it's a good introduction to Geneva by night. Yeah, lovely. The lake is is yeah, is a beautiful it's setting. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Surrounded by mountains. Yes. You know the only uh better experience, I mean, how do you get much better than that? But uh is the dinner cruise on um Lake Lucerne. Because Lucerne, mm. you're even closer to the mountains. You're just cruising right alongside these cliffs and it's even more kind of spectacular but you you do well even just to get the, the dinner cruise in Geneva <laughs> but yeah I'll take a note to check it out not that far <laughs> yeah. and I've got recommendations for Tanzania because I've gone back a handful of times I love to go back especially to Zanzibar and I like staying in if you're in Stone Town which is a really cool town to explore a lot of cultural 
inter interesting places. And uh, the Tembo House Hotel is the hotel where I like to stay there in Stonetown. And then you, you know, you you'd want to go to the east coast of Zanzibar because that's where the good snorkeling and diving and all of that is. And there's a little um, hotel there called the Blue Oyster Inn where I stay. They have great food, a small kind of at hotel atmosphere right on the on the water. Can't get closer. Sounds like paradise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Got to put it on your wish list. Yeah, of course, Zanzibar has been on there for a while, okay. so one day. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and so what about your expat song? Oh, well, I love this song by Awilo because it reminds me of all the dancing we did in um, Ivory Coast. And, you know, when I hear this song, I just want to get up and dance. But shall I play it for you? <laughs> Yes, please do. for sharing your experience in um, in Africa and the big key learnings around being open, uh, having that beginner's, <laughs> beginner's mind and mindset when you arrive and really do appreciate uh, being, yeah, having appreciation. It's definitely something I've resonated with, with all the interviews, but also as my, uh, in my expat life. We will link the um, link your recommendations and also the book that you have written of course in thank in you the comments it was a pleasure talking to you thanks so much terry guys uh if you enjoyed the episode you can put a rating on apple podcast and spotify and as usual you can find all the updates on instagram 